Our scripture passage today is Genesis 28. Genesis 28. So let us stand for the reading of the word of God. So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Pandamaran, to the house of Bethel, your mother's father, and from there take to yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply that you may become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and to your seed with you that you may possess the land of your sojournings which God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Pandam Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Pandam Aram to take to himself a wife from there. And that when he blessed him, he charged him, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Pandam Aram. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac. And Isaac went to Ishmael and married. Besides the wives that he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give it to you and to your seed. Your seed shall also be like the dust of the earth, and you shall sp spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid. And he said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city has been, had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that thou dost give me, I will surely give a tenth to thee. You may be seated. This is a string of familiar stories, some unusual. 
Uh, but all of them in one degree or another are illustrations of the fundamentals of the gospel and of the Christian faith. These are not just Bible stories. These, this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we shall see. So let's go back now through this chapter and see why in the world God had these various stories put in the Bible. Now, I want you to remember one thing first. Remember how God got his word to man in the lives of these men. Remember, they did not have a written Bible. Like us, who, has a, who have a Bible of 66 books written. And like Peter said, he'd rather have a written Bible than voices out of the sky and dreams and visions. But in, in those days, God got his word in bits and pieces through visions, through appearances of the angel of the Lord, through dreams, and all other kinds of ways. And that's the, 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 the fact here. Remember, God speaks to them here in a different way than he speaks to us, but he speaks the same thing. It's the same word. The word these patriarchs heard from voices and visions, the same word you read in this book. The word that they heard from the angel of the Lord and from the mouths of inspired patriarchs is different in kind, in kind but not in content. That it's exactly the same word. So we shouldn't expect to read anything in these verses that contradicts anything we read in the Bible about the gospel, about the Christian life. So here we see, go back to, to, to the 28th chapter, and here we see Isaac sending Jacob on his way. Remember Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Those are all the, the men of promise through whom the Savior of the world would soon be born and through whom the church would be built. Remember, this isn't a story just about Jews. This is a story about the family of Abraham and the promises God made to them through which family the Savior of the world would be born. And the church would be built, as we're going to see today. So Isaac calls Jacob and blesses him and gives him a charge and says to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Why? Who was Canaan? Canaan, remember, was the grandson of Noah. Canaan was the, the grandson whom God cursed because he disrespected his granddaddy. And so here again we see, as we've seen over and over, the line of the serpent and the line of the, the, line of the woman keeping separate. Don't blend them. Don't let them be any synthesis. We don't want the godly to intermarry with the ungodly. We want them to be completely different. Don't let your babies marry non-Christians. How many times we have to say that? God said it in about every chapter so far. Don't let your children marry non-Christians, or that'll be the end of the godly line, and the covenant line will die out in less than one generation. So he's telling Jacob, we don't want you to marry any of the daughters of Canaan. Not because they're a different race, they're not. It has nothing to do with interracial marriages. It's because that they're forbidden to marry non-Christians. And interreligious marriage is forbidden. And so Isaac tells Jacob, I want you to go to Pandamaram, to my family, and to your mother's family, and I want you to take a wife from them. Now, incest is a sin. It's specifically condemned in the law of Moses. And 
Though there are no laws so far in Genesis that condemn incest, every time there is an incestuous marriage in the Bible, there's always problems. And so uh, Isaac is not simply saying marry it in the same family. Keep it in the covenant. Keep your family in the covenant. This is a covenant family, your mother's family, my family. These are covenant people. So you marry in this covenant of God. Don't marry outside of it. So take a wife from the covenant family. And then Isaac blesses him. Is this blessing in every chapter of the Genesis so far not? And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of people. God's been telling that to his people ever since Adam. Mary, be fruitful. I remember that's what he told Adam. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, exercise dominion over it. And now he's simply reiterating it to Jacob. You have a great family. You raise them to the glory of God. You teach them to love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. And they will become a company of peoples. Now it's that phrase. I want us to spend some time on this morning. I want you to marry into faith, Jacob, so that down through your line, you will give birth to a company of peoples. Now let's look at both of those words. Company. The word company is a Hebrew word, Q. A-H-A-L. Kahal. And the Hebrew word kahal means company, group, congregation. And when it's translated in the Greek Old Testament, it's translated with the word synagogue and ecclesia. So kahal is one of the words of the Old Te- Hebrew Old Testament for church. Now I want you to notice something else. Uh, people have a hard time reading the Old Testament because it's so different than what we think the gospel is. The gospel is going out, giving a tract to one person, and trying to get that one person saved before he dies and goes to hell. And then we go find somebody else. You see anything about that in the Bible? In the Old Testament, it's about the church. It's about the body of Christ. It's about a mass of covenant people. So here, uh, Isaac is saying to Jacob, through you, through your seed, There's going to be on this earth a great church of peoples. You notice it's plural and not singular. So to be plural, and the the Greek word for peoples are things like ethnic groups or nations. In other words, to be a vast church of peoples you have to have more in it than just the physical descendants of, of, of Jacob. There's got to be people from various ethnic groups and nations and tribes and tongues and languages all over this earth. In other words, what he's saying is, Jacob, I want you to marry a Christian. I want you to raise children to the glory of God because through you in this world, I'm going to build a Catholic church. That's why the word Catholic is in our Apostles' Creed. It doesn't say we believe in one uh, Roman Catholic Church, which we don't. We believe in one Catholic Church. And the word Catholic means universal. It means not confined to one tribe or one nation or one group of people. So here you have a great statement that through Jacob and his seed on earth, 
God is going to build a mighty, mighty church of international nature all over the world. So he says, I'm God Almighty. May God Almighty bless you and make your faith fruitful and multiply you that you may become a a mighty church of international distinction. May also give you the blessings of Abraham. Blessings plural. Everything that God ever promised to bless Abraham with, may God give it to you. And through you, may you be the instrument where all your children are going to receive the many blessings of the covenant as well. To you and to your seed with you, that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. Now let me emphasize again, though we have to do it every time, because we have visitors every time, and because we're prone to forget. This chapter has to do with Christ and the church. The seed of Abraham is Christ and the church. And the blessings that God's promise to the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, and the seed of Joseph are the blessings of justification by faith and the Holy Spirit. I want you to keep your finger there in Matthew 28 and turn to Galatians 3 again. Galatians 3, which is a wonderful interpretation, the inspired, infallible interpretation of the covenant of grace in the Old Testament. Look at verse 6. Even so, Abraham believed in God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Sons of Abraham is everybody who believes in Jesus. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So it says that when God told Abraham that all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through him, it was talking about justification by faith alone. Verse 9, So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. So over and over, the emphasis is on our relationship with Abraham because of his relationship with Christ. And then let's go down to verse uh, 13, uh, 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now notice how Christian the book of Genesis is. We are the sons of Abraham if we believe in Jesus, and through the sons of Abraham all the nations of the world are going to be blessed with justification by grace through faith alone, and with the reception of the Holy Spirit in regeneration and sanctification. Now go down to verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor or free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed... Heirs according to promise. So you see, regardless of ethnic origin, neither Jew nor Greek, everybody who believes in Jesus is a son of Abraham and therefore an heir of all the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now that simplifies the Old Testament a little. And that's the way to read the Old Testament. So now go back to Genesis 28. And in the light of what we just read, 
in Galatians 3, it says in verse 3, uh, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply so that you may become a church, an international church, that God may give you the blessing of Abraham, which is justification, salvation, the gift of the Holy Spirit, to you and to your spiritual seed with you, that you may possess the land of your sojourning, which God gave to Abraham. Now, if you're going to be a mighty international church, you've got to have some place to stand and some place to sit and some place to live. And so God says, as my people, I'm going to give you a land to live on. Now, it's got to be more than Palestine, right? Because Palestine will not hold uh, people outnumbering the sand on the sea, on the beach, and the stars in the sky. If that's all the land of Palestine is, then it's not going to hold anywhere near all the seed of Abraham. So the land of Palestine, land of Canaan, that God gave Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, is simply earnest money, the down payment, because his real intent is to give the church the world, to live on, to develop civilizations and cultures on, and to raise countless numbers of children on. Say, how did I know that? All kinds of ways. I know it from the fact that in Romans 4.13, it says that Abraham was heir of the world. Not just heir of the land of Canaan, from the Mediterranean to the Euphrates, but the whole world. Or as Jesus said in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land of Palestine. No. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the world. And already in the Old Testament, in Psalms, and in Isaiah, you begin to see the universalization. That's a good word. It's hard for me to say that quick. You begin to see the universalization of this land promise. So already in the Old Testament, in, in uh, Psalms and Isaiah, you see the expansion of this promise to be something greater than just the area that Abraham lived in. You see it's the whole world. You are an heir of the whole world. If you are a son or daughter of Abraham, you are an heir of the promise that God's going to give his people a land. And that land includes every square inch on this planet. Now, something has to happen before we get it. It's sort of a little sidebar. Something has to happen. Because you see, uh, there's some squatters on this land. There's some squatters on this land that belongs to us. There are people by the millions who are not seed of Abraham. They don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not justified. They don't have the Holy Spirit. What about them? We just shoot them all or what? No. We dispossess them as we repossess the land that's ours by promise. So how do we dispossess the squatters to whom the land of earth does not belong? And how do we repossess it? We dispossess them by evangelism, by spreading the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, and the good news of Christ all over the world. And we seek to lead these people, these, all these Muslims and Hindus and all the rest who do not believe in Jesus we seek to win their hearts and their minds to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, at the same time, we repossess this earth by raising our children to live on this earth to the glory of God and not to the glory of man. So all of this is the gospel. It's not any kind of ethical or, ethical or racial thing. 
So, let's go back now to verse 6. Verse 5. Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Pandam Aram. To Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now, notice the next verse. There's two things Esau sees. See if you can figure out what he sees. That makes him envious. Now, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Pandamaram take to himself a wife from there and that when he blessed him he charged him saying you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan and that and in other words here's the second thing he saw and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Pandamaram so there's two things that uh, Esau saw that just made him burn with envy and hatred for Jacob, his brother, and for his father, Isaac. Number one, he saw the way Isaac blessed his son. And here, Esau has to live as a fugitive under the curse of God and not under the blessing of God. He saw the way his father blessed Jacob. And secondly, he saw the way Jacob obeyed his father. Unlike he had ever done. Now what are we t- what are we should be thinking about when we say Esau burned with rage because he saw the way God, uh, Isaac blessed Jacob and the way Jacob obeyed Isaac. Esau had no comprehension of the fact that God had made a difference between Esau and Jacob. Just like God had made a distinction between Egypt and Israel. That God had made a distinction that he decided to save Israel in spite of her sins and destroy Egypt because of hers. And he didn't understand grace. He didn't understand how grace separates and divides and how that it's God that makes a difference. So when he saw God blessing Jacob instead of him and Jacob obeying God, he couldn't figure out what was the difference between him and the rest of his family? That grace divides a family. Grace does not sometimes unites a family. But grace sometimes divides a family. Jesus said when it comes to families, uh, I, I don't bring peace, I bring a sword. I'm going to uh, turn father against son mother against daughter because grace does make a difference and those who submit to that grace will be under the blessings of God and those who do not will be under the curse even though they're in the same family and so he verse 8 he wants to get back at him So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac. Told uh, Jacob not to marry a daughter of the Canaanites. They displeased my daddy. He didn't exactly know why they displeased him. But he saw that marrying a, a Canaanite woman would be a displeasure for his daddy. And so he wanted to punish his daddy. So in verse 9, and Esau went to Ishmael and married. 
besides the wives that he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabal. Now, this guy is a rebel par excellence, isn't he? Wanted to punish his daddy first time by marrying two Hittite women. He was self-consciously a polygamist. Uh, the Hittites, along with the Babylonians, Assyrians, was one of the three or four great powers in the Mid Mid Middle East. It was a militarist nation. It was an uh, idolatrous nation. And it soon perished. So Ishmael married, I mean, Esau, just out of spite to his daddy, married two Hittite women. And then that wasn't enough. So because his daddy told him not to marry a Canaanite woman, he did. So now he's got all these wives who just like him are in rebellion against Almighty God. Verse 10, Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. Came to a certain place and spent the night there. Now, this is an interesting story. I'm sure you that have children have told your children this story. But have you told them the gospel in it? Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there. Because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. What the world does this have to do with the gospel? And he had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angels of God we're ascending and descending on us. So now get the picture. Jacob's on his way to find that godly woman. And it's become night. So he spends the night at a certain place. And he got a stone to put it under his head as a pillow. Let's assume for a minute that legends are true. You've seen that stone. If legends are true, you have seen that stone. Every time you go to Westminster Abbey, you see that thousand-year-old wooden throne that the kings for a thousand years of England have been coronated on. Underneath that, underneath that throne, you have seen the stone of scone, which is, according to legend, the very stone that Jacob put his head on in this story. Do I believe it? No. But I like to talk about it. So he puts this stone down, and uh, he sleeps on it, and while he's sleeping, he had a dream. Revelatory dream. It's just what an ordinary dream. This was a dream in which God was revealing things to him. And in this dream, there he saw a ladder. And that ladder was set on the earth, rested on the earth, and its top reached all the way to heaven. And angels were all ascending and descending on that ladder. And behold, at the top of the ladder, the Lord stood above it, and said, I am Jehovah, I'm the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I'm El Shaddai. I'm the God of the patriarchs. I'm the almighty, the all-powerful, the all-sufficient one. The, land, the, the God of your forefathers. 
and I give the land on which you lie to you and your descendants. So here he sees this ladder. The base is on earth. goes all the way to heaven. There's angels on both sides. And there's God at the top of the ladder. And he continues to speak and tell Jacob what his future is going to be. He said, verse 14, like he said over and over, your seed shall also be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. He's talking about the Kahal. Talking about the international church that Jesus Christ himself built. It'll spread out to the west and the east, the north and the south. And in you and through you, Jacob is my instrument. And through your descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. With justification by grace through faith alone and the reception of the Holy Spirit. That's all the verse I need to have my view of what's going to happen between now and the end of time. Between now and the second coming. Between now and the second coming, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed with the blessing that God promised Jacob of salvation by faith and the gift of the Holy Spirit. All Muslims, all Hindus, all Buddhists, all humanists, everybody on the face of the earth is going to be blessed with the blessing of Abraham. In verse 15, and as far as I'm concerned, that's all I need. Even though, if, even if there were a bunch of other verses in the Bible would make the same promise, that's as clear as you want to be when you read Galatians 3, where God says that Abraham's the father of all who believe, and that through those who believe, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed with the blessing of Abraham, which is justification by faith, and the reception of the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful promise to keep in mind as we face the future. The world didn't get worse; is not getting worse and worse. The seed of Abraham is continuing to grow until it's more numerous than the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. And as it grows, more and more people and nations and ethnic groups from all over the world we brought to salvation and spiritual life. I don't know how you get around those verses. Verse 15. The Lord's still talking, and he says, I'm with you, and I'll keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I promised to you. That's what's called the Emmanuel Principle. Who was Emmanuel? Jesus. In fact, in the first chapter of Matthew, we're told, Mary was told to name Jesus, Jesus and Emmanuel, because Emmanuel means God with us. So in Jesus Christ, you see the very fulfillment of all these promises. And one of the last things Jesus said on earth as he was sending into heaven was what? And lo, I am with you even to the end of the earth. Saying, I am the one Jacob saw at the top of the ladder. And I'm staying with you. Not until I get every promise that I gave to you fulfilled. 
Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, that is, he just shook with awe. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this ladder is the gate of heaven. And here I am, looking at the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. And he called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow. This is not a bargaining. This is a vow. He made a vow saying, and translate that word if, since. Since God will be with me, and since God will keep me on this journey that I take, and since God will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and, I, and since I will return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. I'll totally submit myself to him. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that thou dost give me, I will surely give a tenth to thee. Now this is a change, Jacob. This is Jacob saying, since God has made me all these promises, and since he's going to be with me, I give myself to him, body and soul. And I set up a pillar here to honor him. That was not unusual in the patriarchal days, that they were often setting up pillars, piles of stone, to commemorate uh, meeting God or having fellowship with God setting up some kind of monument. You see it, Joshua setting up a monument in the Jordan River, setting up monuments to commemorate and to remind future generations of what God has done is something that we have failed in doing. Why do you think the enemies are tearing down all the monuments? They don't want any uh, uh, monuments commemorating what the Lord God himself has done in America. So they tear them down. And then we say, well, that's all right. That's just a human thing. Monuments are very important testimonies to your children. And in the Old Testament, the patriarchs were always putting up monuments, putting up pillars to remind future generations so they won't forget what the God of their fathers has done and what the God of their fathers has promised. Cherish monuments. Don't respect monuments put up to bad guys. It's sinful to put up monuments. You can find this in the Bible. It's sinful to put up monuments to commemorate and help the future remember bad guys. What the bad guys have done. But it's godly, and it's essential to our work of influencing the nations to put up monuments and pillars to remind and teach future generations. This country belongs not to them and not to the bad guys, but to the living God himself. One last thing we're through today. That ladder, Jacob's ladder, the base was on earth, went to the heavens, angels went up and down it, and God told Jacob whom he was, Jacob said, this is the house of God, this is the way to the house of God. This is the gate to heaven. Turn with me to John chapter 1.
John chapter 1. In this chapter, the last part of this chapter, Jesus is choosing his apostles. And now he's choosing Nathaniel. So look at verse 43 of John 1. Next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he, that is Jesus, found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. And Peter and Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We have found the Savior of the world that Moses wrote about the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac, the son of Jacob. Nathaniel, come on. We've met him. He's here. Emmanuel's here. And Nathaniel said to him, Nah. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? How in the world can that be? Nazareth is just a little one-horse town. There's no Savior of the world coming from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. See for yourself. Jesus saw Nathanael. Now listen. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. You're an unusual Israelite, Nathaniel. You're a godly man. Nathaniel said to him, How in the world do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip even called you and told you to come and see me, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you sitting under a fig tree reading the Bible. Nobody else was around. But I saw you. Because I am the omniscient God. Daniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God then. The king of Israel. A mere man couldn't have seen what I was reading sitting under that tree. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You know what you were reading about, Nathaniel? You know you were reading about Jacob's ladder? Nobody else was around. Nobody knew what you were reading. You know you were sitting under that big tree reading Genesis? You're looking at that lantern. Because Jesus is Jacob's lantern. And Jesus is the gate of heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by climbing that ladder. Ladder is not good works. 
ladder is not obedience to God's law. The ladder is believing in me. So you remember that what, what Genesis 28 is about the gospel. What Jacob saw was the symbol of Jesus. Jesus is the ladder from earth. He's human. It goes all the way to the presence of God. He's God. No other way to get to God by climbing that ladder. And when you climb that ladder, you go through the gates of God itself. And there's no other way to get to him. So there we have the gospel. The gospel in the Old Testament is just as clear as it is in the New Testament. But there's more application to it than just that. You go through the gates of heaven, you get to God. You get into the presence of God. You enjoy the presence of God. John Calvin, in the 1500s, says, not only is Jesus the ladder and the gates to God, but this bread and this wine are ladders. And this bread and this wine are gates to heaven. So when you drink this wine and you eat this bread by faith, you're using a help, a ladder, that God has provided for you to get into his very presence. And you get into that house of God by climbing that ladder. These are gates. You drink this wine, you eat this bread. They are gates that welcome you right into the very presence of God himself. So now remember all this next time you think about Jacob's ladder. Let us pray. Father, we are truly thankful that you did not leave it to ourselves to work our way to heaven. But you have provided a great way through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he's the only ladder. He's the only gate. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one gets to you but through him. So Lord, may our, that be our message. This darkened evil world. There is a ladder. But there is only one. Amen. <clears throat>